You're listening to New Spring Radio with Hector Velarde, pastor of Calvary New Spring Church in San Antonio, Texas. Can you imagine being called son by the Son of Man? Like, son, your sins are forgiven you. Can you imagine being the first one that is told that? It's just amazing. He, he, Jesus has called disciples. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. But here, for the very first time, makes a divine declaration or gives a divine truth. I can forgive people their sins. When it comes to salvation, there are so many layers that go beyond our understanding. One of the reasons Jesus came was to forgive our sins. He could have stopped right there, but God now adopts us into his family and calls us sons and daughters. In today's message, Pastor Hector will be sharing more about the importance of this divine declaration. This is the invitation that is still open today. We can be forgiven of all our sins, and Jesus gives us the right to be called children of God. All we must do is believe. Now. Here's Pastor Hector in the book of Mark chapter 2, as he continues his message, A Divine Declaration. Think about this with me. What, what has drawn the crowds? We know because of what's happened, the miracles. I mean, maybe there's one or two there or a few who are like, man, I really like his teaching. I heard him in the synagogue that day and I really liked what he said and thus they're back. But by and large, it's the crowd. What has drawn the Pharisees and the scribes? The, the miracles, the, remember the leper? I mean, the, the fact that he went and that he healed him, that is what is drawing people. But this has to come in loud and clear to us. If Jesus doesn't, address this issue, the fact that people are being drawn by his acts and by his miracles and by his casting out of demons, if he does not address this issue right now in our story today, it's going to get out of hand. Things are going to get out of hand. It already has to some degree. People are hearing that he's there and what did they do? They flocked right to them. Now, I'm not against miracles. Please don't take that the wrong way. In fact, I I pray for them often, but my life and your life needs to be sustained by the reading and the applying of his word and not by miracles. Like that's what gets us through today is his word. It's what he said. I mean, can you imagine being there and hearing Jesus teach? Like that had to be like amazing. Like what did he tell them? What did he say? What, what were the words that were coming out of the, just the wisdom and the knowledge? And I know I'm, I'm a stickler for the word being the most important part of our lives because it seems that that's what was important to Jesus. Every time he had an opportunity, he opened the word and he started teaching. So here a crowd gathers and Jesus begins to preach. Now, I believe he just simply gave a Bible study. Like he just started teaching from the law and the prophets. Can you imagine having like that MP3, like that recording of like what? I would love to have it. Like what did he say? Like he he just opens up the law and the prophets and he just starts talking and sharing. And it's Jesus giving a Bible study. And that's that's what's going on. That's the scene he's teaching. But look what happens in verse 3. Here's this tremendous trial. 
Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when he had, they had broken through, they let down the bed on which this paralytic was laying or lying. This is a tremendous trial indeed. This gentleman, this person who's being carried is sick of palsy, as I said. Some of the other translations, perhaps yours, says that, which, which just really means to suffer from the relaxing of the nerves. He had weak limbs. He, he was paralyzed, a paralytic. He could not move his limbs. He can't walk. Perhaps he can't even move his arms. We don't know. We're not told that. We, we know he can't walk because he's being carried, but Luke tells us that he's being carried by his friends on a bed. Think of a makeshift kind of thin mattress. I don't know why in my mind I've always had, you know, kind of this pallet where they're like carrying him on this, I don't know, this wooden bed. And perhaps it was, but the word seems to allude to just kind of this makeshift little mattress or think about maybe like a a sheet or something where they're just carrying this guy and and they get to the entrance and they realize that they can't get to Jesus. Like there's no way. There's people at the entrance. There's people at the windows. There's a crowd that is gathered perhaps on the street. And so they realize they can't get to Jesus. And again, Luke gives more details saying that their intention was, and again, Mark didn't cover it, but look what Luke says, that their intention was to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Like they don't want to be out on the street. They don't want him just kind of at the window looking in. They want to put this guy right in front of Jesus. They weren't just hoping to get a glimpse. They were determined to just put this guy there, and that they do. They, they, they're, they're about to do that. And I just will just take that real quickly and encourage you to just do the same thing with those who you want to bring before Jesus, those in your life who, who you would like to place at the feet of Jesus, those that you would like to hear the gospel, can I just remind you that our responsibility is to just simply bring them before Jesus and then just leave them there? Like we, we, Our responsibility is not to try to heal them ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean you don't preach the gospel because preaching the gospel is bringing them before Jesus, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not literal, but it, it is bringing them right before him. But, but my point is that don't try to like knock it into them or force them to believe. Just bring them in and simply be faithful to bring them before Jesus and then just kind of get out of the way. That's what these guys are going to do. In fact, we'll see that they stay on the roof and they just drop this guy down. They just wanted to get him before Jesus. They make their way onto the roof of the house and they start uncovering it. And you got to know that most houses in this time, they were one story. However, they would use every, every space possible. And the roof was one of those spaces that, that they would use to gather, to eat. Sometimes they would take advantage of the morning breeze and the evening breeze by going up on on, on like a terrace, if you will, and, and they would hang out there. And so there was usually steps that would lead up to the top of the roof. And, and that is where these guys are. And as you kind of picture the scene, you picture the crowd, you picture these guys trying to get to them. They're, they're obviously, you know, making a bit of a scene because they're carrying a guy. They're certainly not the only ones with 
a sick person there or a demon-possessed person there, but they, they get creative and they're like, let's go to the roof. Like, we have a plan. And so thus they climb up to the roof, they head up to the stairs, and all of a sudden, as Jesus is there teaching, everybody's intently listening to Jesus, all of a sudden these little dust particles start kind of coming down. You know, and, and then not only that, all of a sudden pieces of this thatched roof start coming apart. Like that's what's going on. You know, I, I've had some weird things happen to me. I had a fluorescent light fall directly on top of me one time in the middle of a study and lights go out and stuff, but I've never had the ceiling start kind of caving in on me while I was teaching. And that is what's going on. You got you to gotta picture that scene. It's there. He's teaching. Stuff is falling. People are, it's a distraction, right? All of a sudden, it's like, what's, what's going on? Why is the roof opening up? By now, these guys have everybody's attention, and they slowly but surely, as they kind of open up the space, they start lowering the sky down by this hole that they have made in the roof. I kind of picture him like wrapped in a bur- like a burrito, you know. I don't know. That's just maybe the Mexican in me, you know. But but I, I just th- that's why I I don't know that it was like this big palette like I'm used to thinking in my mind. Like, can you imagine the size of that hole that they would have need to have made? But if indeed he was like on a little thin mattress, I mean, I, I just think, okay, let's let's wrap him up, let's tie him from around his arms, right, and and let's just lower him. Now you got to remember, don't don't think of a tw- like a 20, 30 foot ceiling. We're talking nine, ten feet at the most. I mean, maybe it wouldn't take long, and it wouldn't take much for them to open up a hole big enough to put a man through, and then he's just kind of dangling there. Let's say he was he was five feet tall, right? That's kind of short, but let's say he was five feet tall, and it's a 10-foot ceiling, like he's halfway there already, you know? And it wouldn't be long before somebody would just kind of, obviously, it's like, we're not just going to leave him hanging there. So they grab him, and, and they place him right before Jesus. These guys, man, they accomplished their goal, and now their friend is lying right in front of Jesus. Oh, it, that's the tremendous trial. Like they went to great lengths, disrupting and distracting Jesus. And, and I don't know what you would have done. I'm not sure what I would have done. But Jesus had every opportunity to yell at him. What are you guys doing? Can't you see that I'm studying? Get the kids out of here and get them out of here. And what's going on? And he had the opportunity to do all that. But he doesn't. He, he just doesn't do that. And, and he sees something in these guys and look at um, the tremendous truth or the tremendous declaration if you will in verses 5 through 9 so you have the scene you know what's going on and verse 5 when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven you what a totally different thing to say than what I might have said or maybe what you would have said. Maybe you're somebody who doesn't like to get interrupted. You know, and you're like, can you come back another time? You know, would you please leave me alone? You know, I, I, can you just take your place outside? Like, they were here early, and you were late, and if you would have been here early, you could have sat up front, but now you're disrupting everybody, and I got dust on my hair, and, you know, and, and, and he doesn't do that. He, he sees their 
faith. And whose faith? We, we don't know. We, we like to say it's the faith of the four guys, but it could be the faith of the paralytic included. Why not? I mean, after all, he didn't, he could have said, although he couldn't have done anything about it, right? He couldn't walk, but he could have said, don't take me there. I don't want to go before that guy. And he could have made his opinion known, but he sees their faith. And with that, we see the statement that Jesus makes for the first time in the gospel of Mark. Son, your sins are forgiven. You can, can you imagine, just, just think of that word, son. When, when was the last time this guy was called son? We don't know. We'll, we'll look a little bit about what people thought in, a, in, a, in just a moment about those that were sick or that they were born sick and what people thought of them. But can you imagine being called son by the son of man? Like, son, your sins are forgiven you. Can you imagine being the first one that is told that? It, it's just amazing. He... Jesus has called disciples, he's healed people, he's cast out demons, but here for the very first time makes a divine declaration or gives a divine truth. I can forgive people their sins. Now the phrase, your son, your sins are forgiven you is one, not what the paralytic or the friends were hoping to hear, right? After all, they were there to, to have him healed, right? So it wasn't like, that's exactly what we wanted. But at the same time, it's something that wakes up the religious group that is there. Why? Well, because no person, no human had ever said this. Nobody had ever said that they could forgive sins. And that is my point. Let's see if I could explain this tremendous truth a little bit better. Let's look at the rest of the dialogue in verse 6. He says, And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Verse 7, he says, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I have to remind you of something. Think about what they're, what they're saying. They're, they're, it's in their hearts. They're not... They're not vocalizing this, but look at what they're saying. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And up to this point in time in history, sins were forgiven through a ceremony, through a ritual. Now, you, you kind of got to go back to the law. You got to go back to the Old Testament to, to find out about them. And, and it was many of them. There was many ways that you could have sin, your sins forgiven, different, different rituals or different ceremonies that would take place. But one in particular is that burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 1. And we won't turn there just for time's sake, but what would happen, I'll try to describe it for you, is that they would bring, you would bring an animal to be sacrificed. And that animal, not you, but that animal would be inspected and it would be deemed good enough to be sacrificed. So the priest would have to inspect it for spot and for blemish. And if it passed, then that animal was, was said to be good enough to be sacrificed. The priest would then place a knife in your hand, in your right hand most likely, and with the left hand you would hold the head of the animal. And I'm, I'm just painting the picture for you so that you know why when he says your sins are forgiven you, they're like, there's no sacrifice here. 
there's no shedding of blood yet. There's like, what's going on? Because they're used to seeing this. And so you'd place the, your hand on the head of, of this animal and, and with the priest's hand and your, your hand on the knife, you would, you would slowly begin to sacrifice this animal. And as you did, you would feel the life of that animal leave right before your eyes. And, and you would hear it begin to kind of choke on its own blood. And, and, and you were sacrificing this animal. And thus then the blood would be collected in a golden bowl. And, and then the rest of the ceremony would go on. It had other parts to it. But all of this would happen so that you could receive forgiveness of sins. But here Jesus says, I can forgive sins. And they, without a doubt, they're looking around and they're saying, where's the sacrifice? How is he forgiving sins? There is no sacrifice. There is no blood being shed. There is no forgiveness of sin without what? The shedding of blood. Right? And so they're like, this can't be, and this is alarming, and thus leads the scribes to think something. Notice what they're thinking there. It says in verse 6 that they're reasoning in their hearts. They are thinking, why is this guy saying that he can forgive sins if only God can forgive them? And it is a great question. What Jesus said went completely against what they believed. This cannot be the the sacrificial system. You got to remember, was there to appease God? It's the way that sin was forgiven, and thus He and only He would forgive sins. Here we see kind of an unfolding, if you will, a revelation, a declaration of who Jesus is and what He came to do. This is it. Yes, the miracles are great. The casting out of demons is awesome and needful. But this is why Jesus came. And in some ways, I can understand why these guys are alarmed. It was something new. They weren't used to seeing this or hearing this from somebody. But you know, even though it's something new, it shouldn't have been something foreign to them. And I say it shouldn't have been foreign foreign because they knew the scriptures. We're we're talking about the religious people who spent their life dedicated to studying the word, and they knew what Zechariah 9.9 says. I'll read it to you. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. He is just and having salvation. Like, they knew that the Messiah was going to come and that the Messiah was going to forgive sin, that, that, that he was going to be the one to do this. Like they had scripture, and that's just one of many scriptures. And so though it was new, it shouldn't have been foreign to them. It's one thing to read it, but you know what? It's another thing to hear it audibly, right? Like, okay, this is who Messiah is, but then all of a sudden somebody stands up and says, yeah, I can forgive sins. You're like, wait, 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 that, I wasn't ready for that. And so in some ways I understand why these guys are alarmed and this religious group is gathered, they're alarmed, they're concerned, and Jesus picks up on it. Look at what verse 8 says. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, you are to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, whether Jesus used his divine nature or his spiritual gift of discernment to like know that these guys were, were, were thinking these things in their heart, we don't know. But just the fact that he was able to read their mind should have tipped them off as to who he was. Like, wait a minute. Who, he just, how did he just know what I was thinking? Like that alone should have made them think, okay, this guy is different. This is, this is not your average person. It's interesting, but it seems that our human instinct, is it not, is to doubt, is to kind of question or to wonder whether things are true or not. Like, hey, who is this guy? And that's what these guys do in their minds. And so Jesus, knowing this, he asks them, what's easier? To say to the paralytic, now he's not done with him. He, he knows that these guys know their Bible, so to speak. And because he's not done with them, look at what he tells them. He says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? These are, are great questions for two reasons. Number one is that it would be easy to forgive something that was invisible to them, right? I mean, I could look to you and say your sins are forgiven you, and none the wiser, I mean, are they or aren't they? And, and it would have been easy, and thus he makes them think, what if he heals them also? What if he heals this guy? Would you then believe? Right? Because I could tell you something, and, and you're like, well, I don't know if that's true, but then what if he was to also heal him? Which is easier, one or the other? He kind of puts them on the spot, does he not? He's like, so, so, so what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to arise and take your bed and walk? One you can see, the other you can't. One you can accept because you see it, the other one you got to take in faith. And so he's putting these guys on the spot. But two, it's also a great question because most illness and most disease, and see, these guys knew that. Most illness, most disease was thought to be a, a result of sin. Remember the blind man in John chapter 9? John's the only one who gives it. That none of the other gospels shares this story, but it's in John chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples, are, they're walking around in Jerusalem, and they see a man who has been blind from birth, the Bible says. The disciples, now I, I found this to be interesting because I would expect this question to come from the Pharisees and the scribes. But these words come out of the mouth of the disciples, which tells me that it was something that was common in this time. They, they look around and they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The rabbis, they would use Psalm 103, and it's verses 2 to 3, as a proof text of this belief. They believed that if you were born ill, it was a result of sin, and that first you needed to have your sins forgiven, and then you needed to be healed. And they would use Psalm 103 that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases. And so because of that, they would take that and see, see first there's got to be forgiveness of sins, and then a healing of Diseases, And so they, they ask, they, they, they believe that forgiveness preceded healing. And Jesus, knowing this, 
he kind of backs them up against a wall and he says, all right, well, what's easier then? To say that your sins are forgiven or to tell him? Because if he does that, then he is proving who he is to these guys. The religious leaders could, they could handle miracles, they could handle healings because riddled throughout the Old Testament and in other places, miracles are just there. We see a lot of miracles and they could do that, but forgiveness of sin was something that only God did. And Jesus is in essence saying, I am God. I am Messiah and I'm here to forgive people their sins. You've been listening to New Spring Radio with Pastor Hector Velarde. Pastor Hector has been teaching through the book of Mark, and there's much to learn about Jesus' character in this book. If you're gaining some really encouraging insights from these messages, we'd like to know. Would you email us at office at calvarynewspring.com? It would strengthen our faith to hear and know how these teachings are impacting others through God's Word. New Spring Radio is an outpouring of the ministry happening at Calvary New Spring in San Antonio, Texas. We'd love to have your prayers of support in this ministry. Pray that ears would be open and that people's lives would see and understand the goodness and the love of Jesus as Savior. There's one other way that you could support our radio ministry. If you go to calvarynewspring.com, you'll notice a giving tab. If you feel led to support us in a financial way, we'd be so grateful. Pray about it and follow what God's leading you in. If you'd like to join us this weekend, we'd be happy to meet you. Our service on Sundays is at 10 a.m. And we have a midweek service on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Worship and Bible study in person with fellow believers is so vital to the Christian life. It would be so great to get to know you and learn more about your faith journey. Go to calvarynewspring.com to learn more. Thanks for listening today to Pastor Hector's message in the book of Mark. He'll have more to share next time as we continue through this gospel book right here on New Spring Radio.